Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We will be hearing today from Pastor Michael Loxtonfor as he concludes our sermon series, Making Ends Meet, a study in Ruth. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Do you ever feel like everything is going wrong? Every step you take seems to lead to a dead end. The choices you make to try and fix something seem to make no change at all or possibly even make things worse. What if all these things that seem to be going wrong are actually going right? I know that sounds crazy. How could negative things be good? Human beings really stink at looking beyond our circumstances. Everything we deal with is filtered through the lens of how it affects us. The problem with that thinking is it removes the work God is doing on the spiritual side of things. Since we cannot see it, we tend to not acknowledge it. God is working a plan that is for His glory and our good. That's super easy to say, but very hard to remember. Let's listen in together as we learn from Ruth 4 that God preserves His plan despite every conceivable obstacle. Good morning, church. I'm excited this morning that we get to conclude our study of Ruth today. Um, And actually, we're going to end up going back almost all the way through the whole story as kind of a recap as as we do that. But we're not going to read it, so you're going to have to do that on your own time. But when you go back through the story of Ruth and you're reading it for yourself, I want you to notice something. I'd like for you to notice how rarely God is mentioned. Now, if you've been following along and you've been here and every time we've talked, every time we've met, I have made a point to make sure that God is included in our big ideas. When we get to the big idea of the sermon, it's always something to do with God. But when you look at the text and when you read the story for yourself, God isn't explicit in the text. He's, if you were just to read it on its face, God isn't involved almost at all. Really, the only time that God's involved is when um, Boaz says, the Lord be with you, when he greets somebody. He essentially uses God as a greeting. But for a biblical story, for a story in the Bible, there's not a lot of God in it. It's It's a really, really earthly story. It's told from an earthly perspective. And what I've tried to do as we've gone through this is to take that earthly perspective and tie it back to what I think is 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 deeply true in the spiritual. But the way it's written, as we, as we ended last week, you thought, okay, well, that's the end of the story. God took care of Naomi by, by marrying Ruth off, and it was this weird legal thing that I didn't really understand, but all I know is that there was a baby, and everybody was happy at the end. They were done, right? There's a couple more verses that I'd like for us to, to look at, and, and this sermon is, is structured in a way that's very different from any one that I've ever done. So if I look uncomfortable to you, it's because I'm trying to think through this in a new way. But you guys are gracious, um, and one of the benefits is that we can talk to each other. One of the benefits of our body is that we can talk to each other. So I'm going to ask for some interaction as we go along. Um, but we've got 
a conclusion to the, the book of Ruth and the story of Naomi that is a little bit of a surprise ending. It's a little bit of a twist. It's not something that you would expect. So before we get into that, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you do not act in a way that we expect all the time. That, God, there's times where we come to you and we think that we know the answers of how you are going to act and what you are going to do. And we think we get what it is you're trying to accomplish and, and you do something way bigger than we can imagine. Lord, in those times where we come to you looking to make ends meet, you pour out blessings richly. So, Father, as we come together now, through whatever this week has been in the past, Lord, as we come this morning to your text, to what you've given to us for guidance, Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak clearly through your words, and, Father, that you would embed in our hearts the truth, the eternal truths of who you are in our character today. Lord, would you walk with us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's look together at Ruth chapter 4, and we'll take a look at the giant plot twist, the twist ending. Now, it's just a couple of verses. I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be a little bit over underwhelming when we read it. But Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Actually, I'll go back up one verse to 17. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, the son that had been born, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Hmm. Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amenadab, Amenadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. <laughs> Is that, are you guys fired up by that? You, you, you read that and you go, oh, perfect, I get it. See, this is, a, this is kind of a, a plot twist that, that it's hard to get if you're not familiar with some of the other biblical texts. But as a, as a one-to-one correlation, I heard, somebody, uh, explain it one, I heard somebody explain it this way one time. He said, it's almost like you've been reading this whole story, this biography that's been going on with these people's lives, and you get to the end of the story and you find out their last name was Washington. And it happened to be George's mom and dad you'd been reading about the whole time. For us, that's a big deal. Like George Washington was a founding father. He was a really important figure. He set up a lot of precedents for the presidency. Like he was a big deal to us. For the Israelites reading this story, when it says Obed was the father of Jesse, was the father of David, everybody goes, King David? I thought these were just normal people. This is a royal heritage. Like this is a big deal. When we get to the end of this story, it's like, wait a second. I thought we were just talking about Ruth and Naomi and bitterness and no, no, no. It's like, no, this is the king. This is the king's history that we get here. And, and to the people that would have read this the first time, this would have blown their mind. What do you mean, Ruth, a Moabitess, somebody who's from the, in the land of Moabite? What do you mean that Ruth, somebody who's from the land of Moab, would be in the lineage of the king? Like, that doesn't jive. What is happening? Why is God doing it this way? And I love God's sense of humor, question mark. I'm not sure if it's that, but God kind of throws stuff at you and then just drops the mic and walks away. 
He's like, so uh, yeah, all this story, this Ruth lady, like she's kind of cool. She had a lot of faith. That's really, really cool. By the way, she's the father of the king of the, of the nation. Boom. And that's the end of the story. I, I, I love this book. I really do believe that this book is a work of art. Every chapter acts like a different scene. Like there's some really interesting structural things that I haven't taken out, but I love this book. And I hope that our time together here reading it as a body will enrich your time reading it with the Lord on your own. But this is the plot twist, that this is a royal family, that God's purpose in what he's doing is way, 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 way bigger than Elimelech or Naomi or Wasting and Puny. You remember those guys. Bigger than Ruth. This is King David's family that we're talking about. And I think the, the big idea for the whole book is that God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. We've been looking at this family, and then we come to the end, and we realize that this family casts a bigger shadow than we couldn't have imagined. This isn't just like normal folks. This is like the royal family. This is like the King of England type stuff. Not really, but you get, you get what I mean. You get the point. And the point of the book altogether, taking the whole book together, is that God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. And that's the text. That's the text of what we're dealing with today. And normally, I'm really, really comfortable because I take the text and I'll break it up into an outline and then I'll take the outline as like my speaking points and that becomes the structure for how we talk. Like we've already done all of the text now. So I'm stepping out of what I'm comfortable with and I'm asking you to journey with me on a new form of sermon, which doesn't mean anything to y'all, but it makes me uncomfortable. Will you go with me today? I've got two things I'd like to do. <laughs> We're going to review the whole book to drive home this point that God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. We're going to go through the whole book and, and, and highlight ways it should have gone wrong. Then at the end, I'll explain to you why it matters. So ways it could have gone wrong, why it matters, and then we'll have a couple of questions to disclose. And to, and to think about as we, as we end up. So I came up with, and I'll, show you, I'll share my list with you if you want to, but I came up with 20 things minimum in the, chap, in the book of Ruth that should have gone wrong. 20 things. I'm not going to go through all 20 this morning because I respect your time. But if you want my list, you make your own list. We'll, co we'll compare notes and see how, how it goes. I'm going to go through two from every chapter. I'll just, I'll just hit the highlights. Two things that should have gone wrong in every chapter. And what I'd like for you to do is to give me a rating. Because we're all familiar with Murphy and his law. And so what I'd like for you to think about is how likely is it for the thing that we're talking about to have gone wrong? All right, can you do that with me this morning? Okay, so we're going to go back into Ruth chapter 1. Remember, everybody dies and Naomi's left alone, right? And she's just trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, actually, in the beginning, at the very, very start of all of this, the very first verse says, in the time of the judges. And that doesn't mean much to us, but, but what it means is that this was a time where there was no cultural support for people that wanted to faithfully follow God. We know a little bit of what that feels like because we're faithfully trying to follow God. And every time we turn around, there's something in our culture saying, you can't do it that way. You can't do it that way. You're being intolerant. You're not being, you hear it all the time. But Judges is like, 
the worst of the worst. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no centralized government. Different governments were coming in and overtaking, and then you had to pay taxes to them, but then you also had taxes to the other guy that they beat up, and just like, you can't, you can't make a living. And everybody is just doing what they think is right. They forgot about God. They forgot about the rules that he gave them, and they just did what they felt like doing, which to us, like, and our sinful self says, that sounds like a great time. Like, we just get to party all day, do what we want to do. But how it works out in society is that everything went nuts. And nobody could trust anybody. So the first thing that went wrong is, like, everybody in the country should have forgotten about God. Naomi shouldn't have even remembered that, like, I remember there's a story there, but that doesn't actually affect my life. Because of the culture that she grew up in, like, is really, really easy to forget about God. You realize that we're only one generation away from completely losing all of the faith that we have in God? That if everybody alive today chooses not to pass on our faith to our children, that it's over. Unless God miraculously brings us back to the text of Scripture that is preserved, like we're only one generation away ever from the faith dying out entirely, apart from the protection of God. And that's the first thing. This was the period of judges. They shouldn't have cared what God thought at all. But she did. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, Murphy's Law, how likely is it, do you think, that she should have forgotten God entirely because of her culture? 8 or 9? I'm comfortable with that. All right. The second thing from, from, uh, from chapter 1 is that Ruth should have been bitter too. Ruth lost her husband. Ruth was being dragged away from her home. Not dragged away, but she was going, she was leaving her home. She was leaving everything familiar to her. And she could have been grumpy and she could have been bitter at what God had given. Like, man, God, like, you, you know, Yahweh, that God, like I had things that were going on in my life and my life was fine and you brought these people in and I married into that family. And now like you're, I'm going with her, but like, I don't really know about you. And my husband died and he was supposed to worship you. Like what, what favors have you done for me? And now I'm walking around with this bitter old woman who's trying to chase me off. Like, I'm just trying to help her out, and she's trying to chase me off. Like, what did I ever do to her? Ruth should have been bitter, too. Scale of 1 to 10. 10. Yeah. So we move into chapter 2. Uh, Ruth probably could have been lazy. There's no, necess there's no, like, she had to take the initiative to go ahead and, and get out in the field and to glean and collect food, but she didn't. But that's, not, that's one of my other 20 points. That's not the one I want to talk about. Boaz should have despised Ruth. Boaz was a worthy man of Israel. And this is some immigrant coming in, trying to ride off his coattails. He's a wealthy farmer. He's getting everything. And this is some immigrant coming around trying to pick up his food. He shouldn't have liked her because of her culture. Shouldn't have liked her because of her old worship. Shouldn't have liked her because of her bloodline. He shouldn't have liked her because she was poor and he was wealthy. There was every reason to hate her. And yet when she shows up in his field, he's asking questions and, and, and he turns a compassionate heart towards her and he wants to protect her. And I'm not about to get into all the political commentary of how we ought to treat immigrants, but do you realize that this is a story about an immigrant that gets put into the royal family? And Boaz had every reason to hate Ruth. Scale of 1 to 10. Ten.
It's a 10. We're, we're all adults here. We understand that our prejudices toward other people really flavor how we treat them. And I had thought through this, but there's something being here with us now and we're all on the same page. Like, yeah, Boaz should have hated Ruth. He had every reason to. Like, there's something about that that breaks my heart. May it not be so with us. So in chapter 3, Naomi has a, has a proposal. She says, hey, Ruth, you need to go and get yourself ready and propose marriage to this man. The risky proposition. <clears throat> Boaz should have been offended. It's been a long day. He'd been out working. He's trying to get his harvest in. And this, this little immigrant girl, I've already taken care of you. I've already given you more food than you're supposed to. Like, I've already gone out of my way to give you protection. And now you're, and you're proposing to marry me in the middle of the night? Covering my feet, getting my feet cold while I'm trying to sleep, woman? Boy, I should have been offended. One to ten. Ten. Unless he was ugly. Yeah, there's indications that he might have been ugly. He was old. He might have been ugly too. <clears throat> but I do think he probably should have been offended, especially at the way that she came. The other thing is Ruth came at night. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, what if she had been discovered? Like, she was out there and there was, there was no impropriety going on. There was nothing indecent. But it sure looked like there could have been. And she spent the night at his feet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if Ruth could have been discovered, her reputation would have been marred, and, the, and Boaz's reputation would have been, like, that was risky. All it takes is one goofy servant who rolls over in the middle. Like, what is, who is that? What's Boaz doing with your house? <sighs> Scandal. That's all it takes. We know how quickly that happens. Boaz, as a scale of one to ten, ten. Should have gone wrong. Should have been bad. Chapter four. We're at the gate. There's this negotiation going on. Remember that other redeemer? He could have stepped up. He could have stepped into the story and, and taken over. And, and, and that wouldn't necessarily be bad because Ruth and Naomi would still have been taken care of. But we don't know anything about this guy. We don't know his character. It could have been really bad. Could have been fine. Also could have been bad. So on a scale of uh, Murphy's Law, 1 to 10, where do we think we should have been with this? The 5, yeah. yeah. Could have happened. Could have not happened. The other thing is that the elders could have rejected the sale. So he sits down, and they do all this in the public courtroom. They're in the courtroom trying to negotiate the settlement and who's going to take care of This is a corrupt time. You realize he went to a corrupt government in a corrupt time and expected the corrupt government in a corrupt time to do the right thing. I don't know what happened behind the curtain, if he had to pay some people off or what happened, but there's a real possibility in this time that the judges could have rejected the sale for whatever reason. Like, they, did, they just make stuff up. We don't know any governments that do that, but I'm just saying hypothetically, they could have just made something up and rejected the sale to line their own pockets somehow. I don't know. They could have stole the field somehow. I don't know what they were trying to do. There's a real possibility in this kind of a situation that the legal stuff could have gotten gummed up. One to ten on Murphy's Law Scale. An 11? <laughs> it might have, yeah. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We've given him the benefit of the doubt everywhere else that he doesn't have the judges in his pocket. 
So that's, that's eight. I gave you eight of them. I came up with 20. And I'm not going to keep you here all day, but what I want you to understand is that everything should have gone wrong here. And that God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. That God had something that he wanted to do in this woman's life, Naomi, and he emptied her hands. He took everything that was valuable to her. He hurt her and wounded her deeply because he had a plan that he wanted to accomplish. And he walked and negotiated every conceivable circumstance to walk that thin tightrope to defy Murphy's law so that God could accomplish what he wanted to do in her life. Not for her sake, but for the sake of a nation to set up a kingdom. God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. We look at things from our side of it, and we're in time, and that's not a sin for us to have to look at things from our own perspective, because we have to. But we look at it from where we are looking forward, going, you can't do this, God. I'm looking at a brick wall. There's no way to get through it. There's no way to go around it. There's an army behind me. What am I going to do? And God just opens the wall and pushes you through and closes it back up again. God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. Great. I think you're on, we're all on the same page with that. Here's the big question that we don't always get to in church. Why does it matter? On the earthly side, we've got King David. Like all of this sets up King David, and this is a really, really interesting historical piece of how God works together to set up the royal lineage, lineage for this people that he had set apart. We're not Israelites that I'm aware of. None of us have a Jewish heritage. David ain't my king. That's seminary stuff. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Probably too strong of a statement. Um, but Jesus is. We go to Matthew chapter 1, and it goes through lineage, starting all the way back with Adam, and goes through King David all the way down to Jesus. Like, Ruth is in Jesus's is Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandma. God used this family not only to set up a government, a helpful government that was going to point people to him, but he also set it up to set up his eternal government, that he would send King Jesus through this family. And he would work out all of the things so that we could come together and gather together. Like, I know you guys, and I know some of your story. There is very little that would bring us together apart from Jesus. We are very different people as far as where we came from in background. When, I, when, when, when God brought together Pastor Ryan and Pastor Todd and myself, like there are, I thought there were only two opposites, and I, we found three opposite people to get together to try and accomplish something. And it wouldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't brought us together. Jesus is the catalyst for everything that's happening in our lives. And he used this story to set it up. God uses normal people's hands to do incredible eternal work. Look at your hands. Like, my hands aren't special. I mean, pastor hands. Ooh. Like, look at your hands. God uses normal people's hands to accomplish eternal work. That's why it matters. On the earthly side, God sees our struggles and he cares about them. Like, God was not ignorant of what was happening to Naomi. God knew that she was just trying to make ends meet. Here's one other thing that, that seems like it couldn't have gone wrong. What if Moab had worked out for Naomi? 
What if she left Israel and went to Moab and was hanging out in Moab and everything went well? The family got built up. All of her needs were taken care of. Elimelech didn't die. Life went good. That sounds like a good thing. But we know that God was doing something bigger than just Naomi. And if God wants to use you, he often will break you down to get to empty your hands to the place where he can fill them with what he wants for you. So God sees our struggles and he cares about them. Whatever it is that you're facing, you're, God sees it. Hear me, God sees the difficulty. He sees loneliness. He sees anger. He sees hurt. He sees pain. He sees chronic pain. He cares. That's true. And he also sends us what we need. Naomi thought that she needed a husband. She thought that she needed a male heir. And God sent her a young lady from a questionable background who was better to her than seven sons. God sends us what we need, not necessarily what we're looking for from him. And that's the thing that I can say and I believe, but every time I come up to it, I go, oh, yeah, I forgot. You give me what I need, not what I want. And we are starving for life-giving friendships. I think that this is true about our American culture in general. There's something about the Western individualistic mindset that we think we can handle life by ourselves. But our human, like God created us for community. He created us to be together. And we are starving for life-giving friendships. And this book is a model, a model, step-by-step -step model. We'll go back through chapter two. It's a step-by-step -step model for how to be a life-giving friend to somebody else. And, and, and that is a big deal. Like, for you to have two or three friends that just pour into your life, that walk with you through everything, like, that would mean the world. That would change your life. Take away the spiritual components, like, just on a practical standpoint, to have three solid, life-giving friends that were walking with you through everything would change your life dramatically. We are starving for life-giving friendships. And what a friend we have in Jesus. See, everything that we go through as we go through and we talk about those steps, that whole list I gave you for how a life-giving friend, the principles of a life-giving friend, Jesus met them all. Like, he was off the charts a good friend. And he says, it's good for you that I go away. When he's leaving the disciples, they're saying, no, 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 don't go, don't go. We need you. We need you. We need to walk with you like you teach us stuff. And he says, no, 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 it's better for you that I go away. I will send for you a helper that will teach you about what you need to know. I don't understand this. And I don't know that my experience lines up with this. I'm inclined to think that if I could walk with Jesus like side by side, buddy to buddy, arm in arm, I feel like that I'd get a lot more done spiritually. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. it's better that I send a helper for you. So a friend gives us the friend that's going to give us what we need. And so as we're walking through our life with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ that's united together in the Spirit, like what a friend we have in Jesus and his body. That's a metaphor for the church. The church is us. 
Us together, not any of us alone, none of us alone can be the church by ourselves, but us together, we are the church. God indwells us, this group of people, us. So that's why it matters. Here's some questions. So have you made a commitment to serve King Jesus? This is the starting point. When Ruth turns around and says to Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. I'm leaving everything that I knew beforehand. All of that stuff is dead to me. But I'm clinging to hope to follow Yahweh. That commitment was the start of the first step of the journey where God not only met her, met what she needed, helped her ends to meet, but took her into an eternal story. So have you made a commitment to serve King Jesus? And if you haven't, this is the invitation. Like, if you're looking for a sign to do that, this is the day. Like, stop playing around. There's, I don't know, this might be a rabbit trail, so just, I'll go real quick. I get really frustrated with people that are engaged for a real, real long time. Like, if, you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take the step of being engaged, like, I'm being gonna be promised, like, okay, I get that, but at some point, just get married. Like four or five, six years I've heard and I don't understand it. And there are some people that I believe, that I genuinely believe have, have a desire to follow Jesus, but I also believe that they are engaged. Like I will choose to follow you one day. So I'm asking you, stop being engaged to Jesus. Get married, be committed, make the vows. In light of all that we've studied over the last weeks, how are you viewing your struggles in light of Naomi's struggles? And I've tried to get into the dirt of this. I've tried to see it from the earthly perspective. This is a very human story, and that's where we start in. But there's, there's heavenly stuff that's going on in the background. This is like an onion. There's layers of what's happening. So reflect on the things that you're struggling with. And the question is, in light of all that we've learned, like, does this give you a different perspective on what you're struggling with, and how. And lastly, what friendships are you investing in? There's the active investment of trying to be a good friend to somebody else. And there's the active investment of letting somebody else be a good friend to you. And both are necessary. So what friendships are you investing in? Either by being the friend or allowing somebody else to be the friend to you. Because God preserves his plan despite every conceivable obstacle. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.